together. Father, thank you for uh, our church and our flock. Lord, it, it's truly your church. You are the senior pastor. We are, um, as shepherds, under shepherds, serving um, your people. And I pray, God, that as we serve each other and as we open the word of God, that we would be equipped. And, Lord, that we would be filled in our hearts, steeped with joy because of Christ and because we can know him more as we see him revealed in the text. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, this morning I want to open up Philippians 1 again, and I want to show you from Scripture Paul's heart for prayer. Uh, praying is a hard thing to do, and one way to learn how to do something hard is to watch somebody do it and learn how that person does it so it impacts our lives. And Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And so we're wanting Christ to be revealed through Paul's life and even through the way he prayed. So follow as I read this opening section, verses 3 through 11, Philippians 1. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want to take a little bit of a test right now. You test yourselves and your heart. Do you find it hard to pray? Is it hard for you to sustain in prayer? Do you find yourself being borne along by the Holy Spirit as you pray and as you practice that spiritual discipline, as you pray with your family, your wife, to your God intimately, personally? Or do you find that it's something where you run out of gas and you basically run out of material pretty quickly. Prayer is a hard discipline. It's a hard thing to do, though we're called to do it and even pray without ceasing. It's difficult. Why? Well, it's harder than some of the other spiritual disciplines like reading your Bible where you can sort of read a chapter and say, okay, I accomplished something that I physically saw and I checked it off in a box. I mean, for some of you, like me, you'll make a journal or a prayer list just to make it more objective, where you're physically reminded to pray for certain things, and you kind of check them off and see the progress of that prayer request. Or perhaps you journal and write your prayers out physically so you can see what's going on. It's difficult to pray because we are talking with, prayer is talking to our Heavenly Father, relating to our Heavenly Father through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's, it's talking to someone who's invisible, though, isn't it? I mean, God is spirit, John 4, 24. We have to worship him spiritually. 
in spirit and truth. It's a spiritual dynamic because we're praying to someone who is invisible yet there. We want to do it as believers. We want to pray well. We want to pray passionately. We want to pray affectionately. We want to sense God's powers. We pray. We want to do it, but it's easy to get dried up real quick. So I want us to learn from a guy who was praying, and we want to learn from Paul's prayer specifically. It's an inspired prayer. It's a prayer that's very similar to other prayers that he introduced his letters as. I mean, he kind of prayed this same kind of prayer in Colossians 1 and other places. Ephesians has a couple of his prayers. We need to learn how to pray from watching someone do it. But I'll confess that as I have prayed um, prayers like Paul prayed here, and as I have read Paul's prayers over and over again, sometimes I find them not as helpful because they are so spiritually um, set up in content. They're, they're difficult to, to categorize. What am I praying for here? You know, I want to pray for something physical, right? Like that person broke his leg. I pray that it will get better with a cast over time. I mean, something like that is more tangible. Or we pray for things like, you know, we pray that, Lord, help my child do well in school today. Let them not be nervous through taking a test. We, we pray for, you know, that we'll be able to pay our mortgage. Or we pray for money. Or we pray for things that are physical, right? Those are the easier prayers. And I'm not saying that that's not in the ballpark as far as what we should pray about. But I think the reason that we struggle to pray, most of all, is because we're not actually praying like Paul did. Paul prayed on a heart level for people's hearts. It's hard to do. You got to do it by faith, but you got to think. You got to think biblically, and you got to pray on a heart level for people's hearts. And if you boil it all down, he was praying for one thing that people would become more like Jesus. If you think about it, that's a prayer that we can sort of get our arms around because we want to be more like Jesus. We want to know Jesus. And if you pray a prayer where you're saying, Lord, I pray that my child, my boy, my girl, would come to know Jesus or come to know Jesus more and be more like Jesus, that's a prayer that you can pray for a while, right? Or my friend who's hurting, who's going through X, Y, or Z, they found out some horrible news. Now you pray about that, but, and you might pray about the circumstances, but underneath every prayer, we should be praying this prayer, which is, Lord, please form the character of Christ in that person through their trial, through their difficulty. Please, please let them know Jesus more through this. That's a prayer that's got some mileage. That's a prayer that you can keep praying that's something at root we really want for people. There really isn't a higher prayer than that. And really, we shouldn't settle for anything less than that. We want people to know Jesus Christ and know him more deeply. And we want for ourselves to know Christ and to know him more deeply. That was Paul's heart expressed in Philippians 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. To live is Christ. That's what drives Paul's passion. Really, another way to sort of put all of this is prayer is loving other people. Loving people enough to pray for them that they would know Jesus more. Where are the answers? Well, in Christ. 
Who's the solution? Jesus. So you want people to know Jesus more. And prayer that does that has to be driven by a heart of love. And you're praying out of a heart of love for people that people would melt and love Jesus more. And we see this in Paul's heart. He is filled with the love of Christ for a particular people. So love is what drove Paul's prayer. And we see it in two ways. Love drove Paul's prayer. It should drive our prayers too. This love, this joy-filled love should drive our prayer life. And we see it come out in two ways here. First of all, verse 8. Paul says, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Philippians is a love letter. Make no mistake about that. He loved these people. They were his best friends in the world. You can be all across the world away from your best friends, but your heart can still just just bubble over towards people, right? And his friend, Epaphroditus, has just shown up to him in a Roman prison as he's sitting there, chained or shackled. The literal word there, um, as we saw in verse 7, imprisonment, it means chained. He's chained to guards. And he's talking to his friend Epaphroditus, who's come from this church that he founded. And he's communing with him in the fellowship of the gospel. And if we were to look at Philippians 2, verses 25 and following, you'd learn about how Epaphroditus came and in his journey to come and encourage Paul, probably to give Paul some money and some resources from the church, that he nearly died because he got sick on the journey. So he was risking his life for the gospel. And Epaphroditus has this heart, and you could read about it, where he's concerned about the church finding out that he was sick almost to death. He's not concerned that he was going to die, but he was concerned for the church's hearts, and he didn't want them to get discouraged because Epaphroditus was really sick. But the Lord healed him. The Lord sustained him. And so Paul, even though he was enjoying the fellowship with Epaphroditus so much, he had a heart to send him back to that church to comfort them and say, look, I'm still here. I'm alive. I'm fine. Paul said, look, God even delivered my own heart through this experience because had Epaphroditus died, I would have suffered sorrow upon sorrow. And so Paul is sending this letter back with Epaphroditus, and really it's Paul sending his heart back with Epaphroditus. He loved him. That's why he's praying for him. you got to love people like that to pray consistently for people. That's how it works. That's the machinery. That's the spiritual mechanism that prompts prayer. Love, heart-melted love does. And Paul himself was not in the most safe circumstances and situation. He, in verse 23, said he's hard-pressed between two, two directions, either going to be with Christ, which is his greatest desire, or staying here on earth with his family, with the the spiritual family of God. He's saying, I'm hard-pressed between two directions. In other words, he knew that in Philippians 2, it says his life might be poured out as a sacrificial offering on their faith, poured out as a drink offering. Chapter 2, verse 17, the picture of a Roman guard chopping his head off on the block and his, his lifeblood would be poured out like a drink offering. 
for the sake of the gospel, to encourage the faith of the church as a Christian martyr. So all of that's on his mind as he's saying, look, I am loving you with the affection of Jesus Christ. And verse 7, I have you in my heart. I'm holding you dear. That's the kind of heart that prays for people like we need to pray. That's sort of the key behind everything is this kind of love. A love where it's a, a three-way bond. Got this from Gordon Fee. Three-way bond. It's, it's a bond with Christ and it's a bond with other people. It's Paul Jesus and Epaphroditus. Paul, Jesus, Yodia and Sintichi. Paul, Jesus, and Timothy. Paul, Jesus, and Lydia. Paul, Jesus, Philippian jailer. Paul, Jesus, the church of Philippi. Ecclesiastes pictures this. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. It says, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken being together in the gospel. This is where prayer gets cranking. It's where you love people in Jesus' name, where your bond with people is Jesus. That's what you want in marriage. That's when you start praying for your wife again. That's when your wife starts praying for you again. That's when you pray for your kids again. It's when you pray for your grandkids again. It's when you pray for your best friends again. When you have a three-strand cord that's not easily broken. It's the fellowship of the gospel, and that's what Paul is celebrating here in his prayer. Paul is filled with Christ's affections. This is the love of Christ. Look at verse 8. He says, God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. The word witness there is the word martyr. And you think of how Paul was thinking about his possible and probable martyrdom that he was going to face where he would die for the faith well he's using the word a little bit differently here because he's speaking of God and his omnipresent omniscient witness he's in a cell oh, the only one he really can appeal to when he's sending this letter with Epaphroditus perhaps he could have said Timothy is a witness but he appealed to the highest court saying God is my witness God sees my heart there is no faking it out here because God knows with all transparency that I love you. God is the witness. He's very serious about it. I mean, in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, when they talked in this language of by the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every fact be confirmed, that was in the context of capital punishment, Deuteronomy 17. In 2 Corinthians 13, 1, Paul was talking about coming back with a spiritual sword on that church that had accused him of being a false apostle, and he was going to gather witnesses, he said, in church discipline, if need be. So he's saying in that seriousness, God is my witness about how much I love you. And then in verse 8, he says, I yearn. This is sort of that pure devotion, this high praise, this joy-filled life towards these people. How I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. The word affection, it's a key word. Splognos, it's the idea of um, the internal organs are pictured here with this word. It's the idea of uh, the heart, the liver, the lungs, the kidneys. It, it was, you know, kind of the intestinal word. It, it's the same word that's used of Judas Iscariot. Remember how he hanged himself, but he had also bought a field with the money, the blood money that he had sold Jesus out to gain. He bought this field, so he must have 
hung himself from a branch over the field because the book of Acts says that he plunged to his ultimate death into the field and that his intestines or his, his insides were gushing out all over the place. It was called the field of blood. It's the same word. But it's used here of Paul in the same way that the Gospels used it of Jesus. Paul was moved in his, in his heart, in, in his emotions for these people. He was physiologically affected for these people. Same words used of Jesus when he was moved with compassion. Remember Mark chapter 1, if you were to look at Mark 1.41, you'd see a story of Jesus walking up and there's a leper. And the leper says, the leper says, I want to be healed. And Jesus reached out. Now watch this. It's a leper, so if you touch a leper, you're going to be affected by that disease. Unless the leper is supernaturally healed in the moment of touch, you're going to be affected by that. You don't even want to be breathed on by the leper because you're going to lose body parts. You're going, your body is instantaneously going to go into this decay mode like a brown recluse biting you and then your, your, your flesh is eating itself. I saw that on Animal Planet this weekend or something. I don't know. Anyway, that's the seriousness of this moment. And so it's like Jesus is putting his hand into a nest of brown recluse spiders to touch this man. And, and yet he's moved with compassion in his humanity. He's moved. He's feeling compassion like tears for Lazarus, tears for Jerusalem, moved to touch and heal this man. That's the compassion that Paul had. Paul is saying, I have this affection of Christ. Do you see that? Paul is saying, I am living as Christ. Christ, his affection is flowing through me for you as a church. That's the kind of praying that's fueled by affection that produces joy. Now, prayer then is not just some kind of regulated discipline. It's not sort of a, a, a a Christian right, it's not mechanical, it's free-flowing as a love expression for people. The reason we don't pray is because our hearts aren't soft in love towards people. That's what shuts the spigot off of prayer. That's where the material goes away, where you don't know what to say anymore. Um, in a lot of cases is where your heart is sort of not soft towards people. We need it to be soft like this. Well, Paul's prayer was filled with Christ's affection, and it was proven by Paul's transparency. He had complete transparency, saying, God is my witness. And then secondly, it was proven by passion, proven by passion. And we see that in the word affection, the affection of Christ. Now, his love was driven by, I mean, his prayer was driven by love in two ways. One, Paul was filled with Christ's affection. And then two, Paul prayed for his friends to be more like Christ. Remember, that's the content, really, of this prayer. You want people to be like Jesus. And I'm going to show you with a series of subpoints how you can pray for people to become more like Jesus. Okay? Just give you some categories. These are straight from Paul's heart. Number one, we should pray that People love God and people more. What do you want for your kid? You want your kid to 
you know, finish high school, you want your kid to go to college, you want your kid to have a good job, you want your kid to work a job out of high school, you want your kid to take responsibility for his family, you want your kid to have more money and more things and more stuff than you did in this life, you want your kid to, you want your kid to, you want your kid to, you want, do you want your kid to know Jesus and love Jesus more? Nothing higher than that and really nothing lower than that. Yeah, you can want your child to want and have all those other things, but underneath all those other wants need to be the want, needs to be the want that you want your children to know Jesus. You want your wife to know Jesus. You want your friends in the gospel to know Jesus. And you want your friends in the gospel to love other people. Paul was a people person. We talked about that last week. You want people in your life to be people persons, lovers of people made in the image of God. And that's what he starts with in verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Love is inexhaustible. God's love is inexhaustible. He's saying, I want you to have love upon love upon love and there's no object to this. He doesn't define where the love's supposed to go here immediately. And it really is the idea of two-directional love. Love for Christ and love for people. The context here would might be more the three-strand um, idea that you're, you're bound together with Christ and you're praying for those people to love Jesus more and more. It's exactly what he prayed about the height, breadth, length, and depth to know the love of Christ. He had that same prayer in Ephesians where he's saying, I just want people to be exploding with love all over the place. You want the church to be healthy? It starts with us in our hearts, softening up and loving people. Love should be the passion of our hearts. And if you don't love people, even the hard-hardest sinner, then you're sort of going contrawise to being a Christian. Being a Christian means you love. It means love has been born in you. The fruit of the Spirit begins with the word love, Galatians 5.22. Love. Jesus and his sacrificial death is a picture of love. To name Christ, name the name of Christ as a Christian means you love people. It does. If you don't love people, as 1 Corinthians 13, 1 says, you're a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Your religion is like this. Bang, 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 bang. It's just annoying. Religion without love is annoying. That was Paul's point. It's, it's weird. It's not real. It's not authentic. Christianity means your heart is soft towards people and you love them. That's Christianity. That's being Christ to people. And that's where prayer flows from is that kind of heart. Jesus said it to his disciples in this way. He says, look, you've been focused on the old covenant, which was all pointing to me, meaning Jesus. And Jesus said, look, I'm giving a, you a new commandment. Here's a progressed revelatory comment. He's saying it's a new commandment. It's a fulfillment of what the Old Testament was pointing towards, and that is that you would love one another. That's pretty basic. Love each other. It's hard to do, easy to grasp. We're called to love each other. Why? By this, verse 35 of John 13, by this all people will know you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. When people really love each other, it is 
contagious. It stands out. It expresses the gospel like nothing else can. It's abnormal in our culture where you're watching each other's backs, where you have nothing else in common but Jesus, and you love each other. That effect is a palpable witness. It's a growing witness. It's, it's, it's just at center stage. Romans 5.5 5 says we have the power to do this. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit, so we automatically should assume that our gas tank is filled with love. And the reason that we don't have love for people as believers is we haven't flipped the switch to that gas tank yet. It's filled Our hearts are filled with love for people. We have to tap into that source of power. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul says, The love of Christ controls me. If you were to read 2 Corinthians 5, he talks about sort of being like a a madman for Jesus Christ. He can't help himself. He says, "I'm, I'm persuading people to come to Christ as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. I am calling people to Christ. Why? Because I'm so excited about the gospel and it's changed my heart and I have love in my heart. That's the love of Christ. If you love Jesus Christ, you're going to love people, and it's going to spill out in prayer. It's going to spill out in preaching. It's going to spill out in teaching. It's going to spill out in evangelism. Paul was consumed with this. If you were to look at Colossians 1.28, the New American Standard Version, and we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. He was just controlled with a passion for people to become like Jesus and the fuel of that passion is love it's always love if you don't witness examine your heart see if it's filled with love if you're not praying for people passionately continually examine your heart and see if you are softened in love because the grace of the gospel can soften the hardest of hearts No matter where you are, no matter how dry you feel, no matter how difficult it is for you to pray, no matter how embarrassed you are to talk to somebody about Jesus, if your heart softens, you'll just be a fly on your own wall watching yourself tell people about Jesus, praying with people, praying for people. It happens. It's the fruit of a soft heart. And he's praying simply that this kind of effect will abound more and more. That's the first way that people can be like Jesus is they love. There's a hymn that I love that's called the love of god it's a hymn that was written by a jew originally the third stanza of the hymn came from a jew that was had his moorings in germany i should should say his or her i'm not sure a jewish poem and it's the third stanza that inspired the christian church to kind of take that stanza and put stanzas one and two with it to create this hymn but this third stanza says regarding the love of god Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. The love of God. Well, Paul grounds this love at the end of verse 9. Love here is not blind. 
It's not just sentimentalism. It's not just emotion. Love is grounded in the word of God. And this is my second point. The second way that we can pray for people to be like Jesus is that they would think according to the word of God. Jesus thought according to the scripture. Now he's called the word of God in John 1.1. He quoted the Old Testament throughout his ministry of preaching and teaching. He was connected with the word of God. And so our love for people will come through the revealed word of God. Here specifically it says with knowledge and all discernment. The word knowledge here, epignosis, is to know God as he is revealed to us by faith. Now we know God by reading about him. We know God as we meditate on what we've learned from Scripture about who He is. So we, we're filled with that. And as the Holy Spirit connects the Word of God to our hearts about who God is, that bears an illuminated conviction where we see Jesus through the eyes of faith afresh. And, and we love Him more. And so what Paul is saying is, I want your love for God to abound more and more as you know Him, as He has been revealed in Holy Scripture. Loving God more deeply. A deep knowledge of God. I'm not talking about, hey, you know, I, I sort of wave books around here on Sundays. I'm not saying, hey, buy more books or have a bigger library here. This is an academic knowledge that we're talking about. This is the knowledge of faith. Now, I would encourage reading books about the Bible and about God. I, I, I've benefited greatly. I benefit every week of my life by reading and thinking and meditating, but if your reading only stays academic, then it will not change your life. And Paul is saying, your love and your heart is bursting as you know God more deeply. You can't say, hey, my prayer life is growing, but I'm not knowing God more. Or my prayer life is going, but I don't really know what to do and live, how to live my life. No, it's all bound together. It's not just whooped up emotion. It's, it's emotion and affection that's grounded and guided with spiritual discernment as you know God more deeply and as you know people more deeply. It's knowledge. I'm reading this book called Spiritual Depression by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a medical doctor turned pastor in uh, the 20th century and sort of was the, you know, kind of premier expositor for a few, you know, decades there. And he wrote a great book called Spiritual Depression. And basically, he's talking about why people are joyless in the Christian life. And that's sort of been a, a mega theme of this book that I've been talking about, how to have joy. And he says something very similarly here where he's saying, look, if you've been told that you're depressed, so you need to pray your way through that, sort of pray your way out of that, kind of as an emotional catharsis, just sort of pray and pray and pray until your discouragement goes away, uh, don't do that. Pray. Yeah, we're called to pray without ceasing. Pray, but then stop and think about the gospel. You can pray in a way that you become self-obsessed, self-consumed, and sort of die the death of morbid introspection where you spiral down and prayer actually causes you to think about your problems more than God. It's important for you to pray, but make sure that you're praying to God and not sort of idolatrously focusing on your problems. You got to say, you know what? Okay, here's the problem, but I'm going to think about God. And I'm going to connect with the God of Scripture in knowledge by faith. 
That's where joy comes from. That's where the blessing of the gospel pours over our souls. Well, verse 9 really connects with verse 10. Because this discernment is defined and described in verse 10. You're filled with love, with knowledge and discernment. What does discernment look like? What looks like verse 10? So that you may approve what is excellent. Stop there. We're praying that people will love God and people more. We're praying that people will think according to the word of God. And we're praying that people will value what God values. The word here in verse 10 for excellent or approving what's excellent is really the same idea as differentiating between something that's poor for you or something that's rich for you. It's having discernment. It's, it's differentiating about things in life, about options in life, about who you should marry, who you should date, where you should go, what career you should have, what you, what you should give towards, what you should sacrifice your life for. That is sort of the discernment of choosing and making right spiritual choices. Again, you can't say, well, you know, my prayer life is deepening and my experience with God is deepening, but I'm still making bad choices all the time. It just is a contradiction. Um, the prayer that we want to pray for people is something where they're knowing Christ and that knowledge of Christ changes their life and they're making good choices. Again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for physical things for our children or our families or, or whomever. We should, but we should pray they know Christ and that knowledge of Christ will help them along the way in making good choices in growing in the ability to differentiate one thing from the other. Recently, I, uh, my Wi-Fi went down. I know, <gasps> life shuts down when your Wi-Fi shuts down, right? I mean, it's kind of hard. You're, you're going online, but you're not getting anything. And there's that white screen, screen, and it says technical difficulties, and you click on that so you can read three paragraphs about what's not going to help you anyway, right? That moment, right, where you're clocking in, being on hold, no offense to anybody who's part of cable companies, but you know, it's just that moment, and, and I sort of wanted to, you know, flex my technological discernment, and I'm shutting, you know, the browser off, or whatever that's called, shutting this off, changing cords out, you know, nothing, nothing's happening, so I just sort of leave it for a while, go do something else, and about an hour later, Wi-Fi is up and running, and pow, pow, you know, thunder, lightning, you've got, you know, your information, and whatever, and I said, how did this happen? And my 11-year-old son, who, <laughs> if you're 11 or 12 or 9, you know more than me, right, about technology. And if we were all honest, it's our teenagers, it's our young adults, it's our preteens that know technology more than we do. They can differentiate things, what to do and not do. It's, that's discernment. That's growing discernment about technology that I'm saying is a picture of how you grow in the spiritual life. Life is complicated. Life's hard. It's not easy to know the right thing to do, but if you're spiritually minded, and you not only know the Word of God, or know about God, but you begin to know God, that knowledge of God, that relationship with God, that, that walking in the Spirit relationship, that dependence upon the Lord will connect in some of the most subtle decisions and attitudes and life choices as you live out your life. And you'll go to different levels spiritually. 
That's what Paul is praying for. He's praying that this church would grow in its love for people, love for God, that that love would be grounded in the knowledge of God, and that that knowledge of God would play out in how you live your life. Can you pray that for people? That sounds, yes, yeah, that, that sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? When you read Paul's prayers, right, out of the mouths of babes, when you read Paul's prayers, once you see beneath the surface that he just wants people to know Jesus Christ, it makes sense of this language. It really does. You want people to grow with knowledge and discernment, approving what is excellent, and look at this, and so to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. You're thinking according to the word of God, you're valuing what God values, and you're becoming more holy. We should be praying that people will be more like Jesus, and that will be reflected in their holiness. Now, there was a connection that I made here after I finished the sermon that affects me and affected me in my study, and I hope that I can clarify it for you. Um, the idea of being pure is the idea of being authentic. Uh, it's the word sun-tested. It's the concept of being sun-tested. And the picture here is of a pottery dealer. You had some sort of improprietist, uh, improprietist pottery dealers, those who were trying to you know, gain a, bunk, a buck with uh, affected pottery, um, where they would take glaze and they would fill in the cracks of cracked pottery and try to resell it as damaged goods for a whole price. What they would do is they would glaze it, kind of like a car that's been submerged and sort of resurrected. And if you don't look at the backstory online to find out about it, you could buy a real lemon. Same scene here where people would buy pottery, and if you just bought it in sort of the, the cave lighting or the you know, store building lighting without taking the pottery out and testing it against the sunlight, you could not see whether it was cracked or not. And you could have defective pottery that would leak. Well, Paul is saying, listen, if you grow in love, if you grow in knowledge, in discernment, if you're becoming this discerning person, then what's happening to you is you're becoming a whole person. The idea of a, a, a piece of pottery that would pass the test, the sun test, was called sincera pottery. You hear that word sincere means authentic. Holiness is about being authentically in love with Jesus Christ. And I just want to show you this. Look at verse 9. Paul's prayer, the mega idea of the prayer, which my outline reflects, is he wants the church to fall, uh, fall in love, more deeply in love with Jesus Christ, to, that your love may abound more and more. That heart-softening love and that work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of people is what produces holiness. Do you see the connection? That your love may abound, and then skip down to verse 10, and so be pure and blameless. Do you ever get nervous about verses like, be holy as your heavenly Father is holy, be holy as I am holy, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect? Um, it, you know, we're, we're all moving towards Judgment Day where we'll, we'll kneel before God at the day of Jesus Christ. Every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess Jesus Christ as Lord. We're open and laid bare before his holiness. Talk about the, the nervousness of being sun-tested at that point. The blazing light of the glory of God where we're going to shrink like Isaiah saying, Woe is me for I am undone. 
but for the righteousness of Christ that clothes us where we stand in no condemnation. I don't know how that balance works out, but I'm going to fall down on my face. That's my plan anyway. Before God, and we'll be tested as through fire in some sense, where we'll feel a sense of loss for what we did not do for Christ, but we'll be affirmed by the grace of God and welcomed into Christ's presence because of the grace of God. Well, holiness, it does make me nervous. But the connection here from the word of God is simply this. Paul is praying that people's hearts will melt with love. And love in your heart is what drives holiness. It's what produces holiness. Performance-based religion is what, by contrast, produces hard-heartedness. Holiness sometimes immediately sort of calls us in our hearts to get on a performance treadmill where we want to run a race of performance and we think we can do more and we feel guilty about our lives. So we're now I'm going to commit. Some of you in your hearts, maybe you're thinking, okay, now, Monday morning, I'm on my face before God. I'm going to read and pray again. I'm going to do it, you know, and it's easy to jump on that performance um, sort of camp commitments kind of Christianity. And that's no Christianity at all. That's actually the false religion of legalism. If you're trying to drum up obedience out of your own flesh and internal drives, instead of saying, God, melt my heart. Let me be soft again. Let me fall in love with my kids again, my wife again, my husband again. Let me fall in love with people again. Let me fall in love with you again. And out of that heart softness, guess what? Holiness will come. John 15, Jesus said, look, I'm the vine, you're the branches. God the Father is the vine dresser here. Abide in me as a branch. Cling to me. And then something's going to happen in your life. You'll produce fruit, and it'll be fruit that remains. How do you prove that you're a living branch? Stick with Jesus. Hang on to Jesus and know him. Let that be your chief concern, and let the fruit take care of itself. If you try to produce fruit in your own flesh, it's just going to harden your heart up. You'll be a dry branch, but if you're plugged into the life source, then photosynthesis will take place. Leaves will grow. Fruit will be born out of your life, and you won't be able to take credit for that fruit. I'm sorry. You didn't do it. It wasn't because you were good enough. It wasn't because you put in enough time or effort or holy sweat. It just was what God did sort of in spite of you, but he, he welcomes you into the joy of it as it's happening, right? That's spiritual life. That's holiness. To be holy means fall in love with Jesus more deeply. That's what it means. This new commandment I give you, that you'll love one another. And the fruit of that love is evangelism. People will be drawn to Christ because you're loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's part of the call to be holy. So you don't worry about the fruit. You just consider God and your heart. 1 John 3 puts it this way. Just turn over to 1 John quickly with me. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. This is the Apostle John saying exactly what Paul said in his own language to these churches. John, 1 John 3. See what kind of, here it is, love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. 
Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we shall be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Now look at this verse. Here it is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who has this hope is purifying himself now just as God is pure. The idea is simply this. If you're in love with God and you can't wait to see Jesus Christ face to face, even though it's, it's terrifying, it's sobering, it's humbling, we, we want Jesus. If you want Jesus, you want to see him face to face, guess what? Your life is more pure because of that longing. Because you've got that energized hope going on and you want Jesus in your life. Look, when your heart's hard and you're, you're, you're discouraged because you're trying to perform your way into holiness, do you want Jesus? No. You're kind of exhausted. You're going, I, re- I want to put some arm's distance between me and the Lord because I feel like a failure and I'm depressed and it doesn't make sense to me because I'm discouraged and I'm claiming the name of Christ and should have the most joy. When you're discouraged from performance-based religion, you also don't want to be near people, not in terms of fellowship. But the answer is, God, soften my heart towards you. Help me love you more, want you more. Help me want people more. And then all of a sudden, there's holiness happening in your life. It's what you are, not what you're doing. These are, if you go back to Philippians, these are sort of state-of-being concepts. It's so, and so be pure and be blameless for the day of Jesus Christ. Love God more, love people more, it's abounding, so you are being pure. You are that sincera pot, sun-tested, and blameless. Blameless just means that you're not causing other people to stumble. That's when you know holiness is really happening at a spirit-inspired level. It's where you're not causing other people to stumble who are around you looking at your life. That's the idea. The day of Jesus Christ is where we will one day be before him. Okay, well, again, what are we praying for people? We're praying, number one, that people will love God and people more. We're praying that people will think according to the word of God and value what God values and become more holy. And lastly, verse 11, we pray that people will experience the power of God. Look at this in verse 11. Paul prayed that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is a verse that sort of summarizes what I believe is the method for spiritual growth, and that is we try to set the conditions to grow. We can't grow ourselves just like we can't grow a a planted plant in a pot. I mean, I can't grow anything. I've told you this and confess this. I don't have a green thumb. I've got sort of a, you know, an anti-thumb. I don't know. I, I can't grow anything. But for something to grow, you can't drown it. You can't, you can't give it too much water. You can't give it too little of water. You, you can't give it too much sunlight or it'll dry up. You can't give it, you know, no sunlight. So you have to cultivate the circumstances by setting the table for something to grow. It's the same thing in the spiritual life. When I counsel people, even people who are going through some of the most egregious 
problems and difficulties, even sins that are very identifiable where you could say, look, stop doing this or that. The first thing I always do is see if they are setting the conditions spiritually for them to grow. Just testing people with some very basic ideas. Do you love God? Have you thought about the gospel in a while? Do, do, you, do you pray? Do you have a prayer relationship with the Lord? Is there any like biblical intake, input in your life? A lot of times, exhausted housewives. You know, I've talked to husbands and wives, and, and the wife is going, I am exhausted. I cannot, I have nothing left to go to the Word of God and concentrate. And I immediately say, hey, do you have an iPod? You need to listen to the Word of God be preached to you in your kitchen as you sweep the floor or at your job or on your commute, whatever. Intake the Word of God. It sets the conditions for you to grow. Don't try to take the bull by the horns and just stop and start doing something. Just be open to God's work in you says that it's fruit. These, these, uh, this is the fruit of this prayer. Loving God, loving people, being discerning, de- going deeply into the knowledge of God. The fruit is you're pure and blameless, that you're filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes only through Jesus Christ. There's two religions in the world. There's man-made religions, there's performance-based religions, and then there's the only right religion, which is the gospel of grace where you're not earning anything you're not trying to drum up anything in your life you are just by God's grace open to God's grace being poured into your life and Christ being the life that's lived through you you're relying on his power on his strength promoting his glory as verse 11 says by submitting to him not submitting to yourself religion that's performance-based. You know what that is? That's idolatry. It's where you basically bow down and you're trying to make something work for you. That's why people made wooden idols and metal idols and things is they wanted to summon an effect. They'd say, okay, I'll make this idol and then that will do something for me, which basically puts the idol maker as the god of their own life. That's religion is where you're trying to affect something or make something happen for you through enough effort or enough, you know, mojo or, you know, enough magic that you're conjuring up for yourself. And that's not Christianity at all. Christianity is one way through Christ by grace alone. It's what he's doing in us, which goes back to Paul's prayer. Lord, please make this church soft in their hearts you want to be a powerful church you want to have a church that has a testimony that impacts people with christ's power through us it begins with us submitting to a prayer like this and praying prayers like this for others that we would have soft hearts that love god and love people let's pray let's bow for prayer Father, we thank you that the greatest expression of love and holiness is found in the cross. That the key to holiness is loving you. And we thank you, God, that you loved us enough to send your son. Where Jesus dying on the cross is the greatest self-sacrificial expression of love and the greatest example of holiness. I think of Charles Wesley's hymn, 
And can it be where it says that Christ emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race? Lord, we are your helpless people. We were under the headship of Adam and you have changed us and transformed us by the sacrificial love of Christ to be under his headship and his lordship. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Lord, melt our hearts with the gospel this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If the men would come forward.